Well, if you have your Bibles with you this evening, turn with me once again to 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1, and this evening we are going to be considering verses 16 through 21, verses 16 through 21, this will take us to the end of chapter 1, 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 16, and before we hear the reading and preaching of God's word, Join me again in prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we come to you now as we consider your word. We thank you, Lord, for the revelation that is contained therein. We thank you for your Spirit's work in opening our eyes and our understanding to receive it, to know it, to see Jesus. And we pray, Lord, yet again, that you would uh, bring those things about to uh, open our understanding even more tonight, to understand your word and the truth therein all the more, to praise you for it, and uh, to walk and to stand upon your very truth. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, Second Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 16, hear now the holy, the infallible, the inerrant, the inspired word of God written for you and for me today. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thus far the reading of God's word, and may he add his blessing to the reading of it to us. Well, beloved in Christ, Peter's ministry was a great blessing. It's been a great blessing to us as we've gone through this epistle thus far. And his ministry that, re that regularly involved reminders greatly benefited the saints in the diaspora as well as us today, doesn't it? Praise God that by his work in Peter, Peter wasn't negligent in his duty. That he was mindful and focused on not being negligent. And how easy it is to fall into temptation to put off that which we know we ought to do. Right? Paul struggled with that even, right? He did the things that he knew that he should not do and he didn't do the things that he knew he should. But praise God for Peter's faithfulness and readiness. He was ready to speak up. He was ready to encourage. Peter was ready to reinforce doctrine that we already know and need to consistently remember and have in the forefronts of our minds. And also that which needs to be active in our lives. For he knew well that diligence in his service would be connected to diligence in our carrying out our duties by God's grace. 
This is so often what we see to be true, isn't it? We're walking along, sometimes slipping, sometimes lazy, sometimes stumbling or falling. But the Lord, through his ministers, through his word, gives us necessary reminders at the right time, just at the right time, and stirs us up in godliness. And this is exactly what Peter's purpose was in giving such reminders. It wasn't just to hear himself talk and and like what he heard. No, it was to feed, to nudge, to put some fire into the heart of Christ's precious lambs in our pursuit of holiness. Wonderfully, Peter was committed to this as, as long as the Lord would give him breath to do so. He wasn't committed merely for a season, and then he would be done. No, this was a lifelong, even to the end of life, as Peter explained in our context, endeavor. In fact, Peter said that he knew that his death would be coming soon. He, he would carefully ensure that we would be left with these needed reminders to help us even after he was gone and with the Lord. And that is exactly what we have here in these epistles, in inspired Holy Scripture. And so it was also important for God's people to know how completely trustworthy the instruction, the reminders, and the prophetic word was that Peter gave to them. And we need to see this today as well. Let's consider what Peter says about the eyewitnesses to his majesty in verse 16, as well as the honor and glory from the Father in verse 17, and finally the trustworthy prophetic word in verses 18 through 21. Now as he begins to talk about being eyewitnesses to his majesty, he says in verse 16, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables, when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now, see two things here. See first how the testimony of the coming of Christ wasn't delivered, but also the context and the foundation in which it was delivered. Peter said that they didn't follow cunningly devised fables. In other words, the apostles didn't hear and, and blindly follow and then pass on carefully and intentionally crafted and really devilish stories and tales or myths, which is really what the Greek word means here, the myth, that were designed to deceive. That's what these devised fables that Peter talked about, that's what their purpose was. They were designed to deceive. Now, it's true that there are many stories and tall tales out there about Christ. There are many false gospels that are obviously way off, and yet others that run oh, oh so deceptively close. But the glorious gospel isn't a craftily pieced together myth. See that. The testimony of the life of Christ, his miracles, his work in redemption, the way of salvation, the power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is truly of the holy and perfect counsel of God. God's people need to know and be reminded of the truth of Jesus' awesome power. You know, Paul spoke to this in his prayer to, to the saints in Ephesus in Ephesians 1, 17 through 22. As he prayed, quote, 
that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and notice verse 19, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him as, at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. My friends, the, the Greek word for coming that Peter uses when he's talking about Christ's coming is parousion. comes from parousia, which refers to the arrival, the advent, especially the second coming of Christ. In Matthew 24, verse 30, Christ speaks of his power being associated with his return. We see there, then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Oh, what a sight that will be, right? To see Jesus in his power and in his glory when he returns. And so on what grounds, then, could the people trust Peter's words? Again, it wasn't based on stories passed around and latched on to, but rather through the rock-solid evidence of Peter and the apostles being eyewitnesses of Christ's majesty. Now, specifically, what is Peter referring to in what they saw? They were eyewitnesses of his majesty at the transfiguration. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 16, if you would. Matthew chapter 16, We're going to look at this text together. Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 27. And there we read, For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, notice, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to, the, to them, talking with them, with him. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And suddenly a voice came out of the cloud, saying, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. When the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, 
Arise and do not be afraid. When they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Keep in mind, beloved, the great glory and the majesty that was evident, even as we see in verse 2. His face shone like the sun, his clothes became as white as the light. The voice from the Father coming from heaven, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, hear him. And yet again, though fear often entered the hearts of his disciples, he says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they didn't see Moses or Elijah anymore. But they only saw Jesus. The apostles saw the transfiguration as a brief foretaste of the glory that Jesus will return to earth with. And then Peter here goes on to teach us more about what Christ received. So the apostles were eyewitnesses of his majesty. But then what does Peter say in verse 17? For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Now, our memories should be stirred to remember the Father's expression of pleasure in his Son when John baptized Jesus in Matthew 3.17. However, Peter specifically draws our attention to the Father's words that we just read. In Matthew 17, 5. Notice that in the transfiguration, Peter, James, and John not only saw what they saw, but they heard what the Father said from heaven. And this is unique, as in John 12, 27 through 29, people also heard from heaven as Christ prayed, but they said they heard thunder, or maybe an angel spoke, they said. In verse 27 of John 12, we read, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. And therefore the people who stood by and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. So notice that here in Peter's eyewitness account, we find a window into the wonderful relationship that God the Father has with God the Son in the words that they heard. The Father, who is the excellent glory Peter refers to, is well pleased with his Son. See this tonight. The Father delights in honoring and giving glory to his beloved Son. And as the Father calls us to give honor and glory to Jesus by confessing him to be our Savior, so he also gives glory and honor to our Savior by declaring him to be his Son. Blessed are those who, who not only hear but understand and believe the truth. This spirit wrought, even as we considered this morning, this spirit wrought illumination. But then we see 
the trustworthy and prophetic word in 18. In verse 18, Peter says, And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Now, some scholars say that people uh, that Peter is teaching us that the transfiguration confirms the truth of prophecy here. However, other scholars of whom I agree with in a more natural translation of the Greek believe Peter is further supporting the truth and reality of the gospel and saying the testimony of scripture is the more sure word. The trustworthy prophetic word confirmed. That it is more certain that even first-hand experience of Christ's glory. In other words, God's word is more reliable than the spectacular witness of the transfiguration with their own senses. And with this confirmation in Scripture, what must, what must we do considering it? Well, we need to heed. We need to hold on to. We need to devote ourselves to the infallible teaching and promise of the coming return of Christ. For the word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Its teachings don't cloud our vision in the dark, but are rather a clear light that guides our way. Psalm 119, 105 teaches us. It is light in the darkness. Light in the midst of a dark world that shows us the light, Jesus Christ. The true light of the world. Who we must follow and have the light of life. As the Apostle John teaches us, we must walk in the light as he is in the light. And we must take heed, Peter says, until that coming day of Christ that dawns and the, the morning star rises in our hearts. And that morning star reference is a messianic reference to Christ in his second coming that we find in Numbers 24-17. Now it's true that the second coming will be an external event. We will see it. There will be no missing it. Wonderfully. But Peter also points us to the effect that the full revelation to come will have in us as it's going to accompany Christ's return. And he goes on not only to speak about the confirmation of the truth of the gospel in the word, but now he puts right guardrails on the confirmation of truth in the interpretation of scripture. Look at verse 20. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. Here Peter presses the glorious doctrine of the inspiration of scripture. When we say that the Bible is inspired, we are saying and we mean that it is God-breathed. God breathed his words and thoughts into the authors of Scripture. What they wrote wasn't merely a product of their own minds and hearts. It's never, thus says Peter, it's always, thus says the Lord, in every word. That would be from Peter's pen, or Paul's pen or Moses' pen, or David's pen, etc. But Peter goes on in 21 to say this, for prophecy never came 
by the will of man. But holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 28, verses 24 and 25, we read, And some were persuaded by the things which were spoken, and some disbelieved. So when they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul had said one word. The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our fathers. But also in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, wonderful passage of scripture that we know well. Paul told Timothy, all scripture is given by what? Inspiration of God. And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So these are the things, these are passages that we would do well to remember, to memorize even, as we consider the inspiration of Scripture, as we consider the Spirit's work, these God-breathed words put in writing for us. Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 1, section 10, this is of Scripture says this, the supreme judge by which all controversies of religion are to be determined, and all decrees of councils, opinions of ancient writers, doctrines of men, and private spirits are to be examined, and in whose sentence we are to rest, can be no other but the Holy Spirit speaking in Scripture. God speaks in and through his word. There's that meme, it's not a new meme, it's an old meme, right? One person saying, I just want to hear a word from God, right? Well, read your Bible. Well, I want to hear it, you know, I want to hear it. Well, read it out loud, right? It's the Holy Spirit speaking in the Scriptures. The Bible is the spoken, revealed will of God. Praise the Lord. And the, the Spirit speaks to us in and through the very Scriptures. So I'll leave you with this. How do we know what to believe? How do we know what to believe? With all of the truth claims regarding Christ, with all of the truth claims regarding salvation or the afterlife, how do we know and how can we have confidence in what is true. Take Peter's answers and foundations to these questions with you tonight. Having peace and trust and hope in the promises of God, reported by eyewitnesses of Christ's glory, and even more in that which is revealed in God's inspired and trustworthy and prophetic word. Praise God for the holy, inspired, God-breathed, and therefore inerrant and infallible word of the living God. It truly is living and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces, it divides, it reveals, it exposes us, making us naked to the one to whom we must give account. There's nothing, nothing hidden from God. Although we would like to hide, oftentimes like Adam. But there is nothing hidden from God. We are naked. And the Word exposes us. And that's a good and a needed exposure. 
The word exposes us to the one to whom we must give account. But also, praise God for the revelation the Holy Spirit has given us, namely here, the glorious power and the coming of Jesus Christ. Right? May we walk forward with knowledge and anticipation of that great day. For that day is ahead of us. He is coming. He is coming. Praise the Lord. Amen. Let's pray together.